Hi everybody, my name is Jennifer Elliott and welcome to 48 Minutes Unplugged. In this podcast, we interview leaders who we think are inspiring. We are rapid-fire questions at them to discover what makes them stand out. We believe the world today more than ever needs inspiring leaders. Leaders who are good at what they do but stand out in the way they do it are able to keep focus in a rapidly changing world and have impact that reaches further. Before each interview, we do a breathing exercise to bring us both intentionally into the moment, here and now. We intentionally do not disclose the questions in advance because we would like to get intuitive, heartfelt answers and really get to know the person behind the title. The questions have no logical order and that might at times feel uneasy. After 48 minutes, you will hear a tone, which means the interview will come to an end, no matter how exciting the content is at that moment. So welcome to our fourth episode of 48 Minutes Unplugged. Um, today we are in day four of the Corona lockdown. And for that reason, I'm for the first time not facing our guest, which is very unfortunate because he has a contagious positive energy. Personally, I'm a big fan of this individual as a professional, but also as a person. Today, we welcome Jamie Anderson. Jamie is a professor of strategy who has taught at Antwerp Management School, INSEAD, London Business School, the University of Melbourne, etc. He's also a public speaker who has delivered four TED Talks, and his research is focused on the interconnectivity between creativity, innovation, leadership, and corporate transformation. Did I say that correctly, Jamie? That sounds, that sounds good, Jennifer. You just didn't mention my nationality. You know, people might... Oh, very important. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I'm Australian. Yeah, but I, I left Australia a very long time ago. So I'm, I'm now living in, in Belgium, uh, in, in Antwerp. How long have you been here for? Gosh, about uh, nine years in Belgium now. Yeah, but I left Australia more than 25 years ago. So, so my accent's a little bit mixed up now. Hmm. Yeah, I know what you mean. I have the same problem. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny now because actually, you know, being Australian, but my wife's actually Dutch speaking, and, and we've been here for nine years. But before living yeah. here, we lived in Germany for five years. So, so sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes people even accuse me of being South African now. Yeah, really I have the same thing. Accent, yeah. Um, and um, I, well, first of all, we're really happy to have you here in the podcast. Um, you are somebody who inspires me personally uh, and I'm very grateful we have you here to share some of your uh, what I consider mind-opening views with our audience. Before we start uh, do you have a nickname or do I just call you Jamie? You can call me Jamie yeah Jamie's fine yeah, yeah. I mean I've got my, you know I've got my nickname which is the stand-up strategist because because in my professional life um, yeah I like to, to talk on the stage and, and to work in the classroom a lot, but, but humor is really important to me. So yeah. you can just call me Jamie. That's fine. Okay, Jamie. Uh, what is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning to get energized? Coffee. Yeah. I, I always start the morning with, with a coffee, coffee, usually a cappuccino. Um, and then I get on my bike. Yeah. Usually between I'm an early riser. So I'm usually up somewhere between half past five and six o'clock in the morning. Uh, mm -hmm. I have my coffee and then usually I get straight on my bike and it's usually about an hour um, on my bike to start the day. That's, Daily? That's my indoor bike, I should say, not, not out on the road. 
Okay. Okay. And what do you do in the evening to cool down? Um, it's a good question. I mean, normally I try, you know, like an hour before bed just to disconnect from all the digital stuff. Um, so mm -hmm. I try to put my phone away and close my computer and, and stuff like that. Um, because yeah, because I'm such an early riser, I'm also a bit of an early sleeper. So I usually try to be in bed between 10, 30 and 11 uh, at night. Um, so yeah, usually it's just hanging out with my kids a little bit, sitting on the sofa with my, my wife, watching, watching some telly or something. Um, and often like when I, I, if, if I'm, especially like on school days when the kids are going to bed a little bit earlier, usually I, I try to spend a few minutes with, with each of them, um, putting them to bed. They're, they're not so little anymore. I mean, my, my eldest is 17, my daughter's 15 and my, my youngest yeah. is 13. Um, but I still try to spend a little bit of like quiet one-on-one -on -one time with each of them before sleep. Mm. Um, talking about your kids, what is the most important thing they taught you? Um, I think to be aware of my mood, you know, like, because I do, um, yeah, particularly with regard to my sports, because sports is a big part of my life. So I, I do work out quite a lot and I do cycling competitions and stuff. So you know, sometimes I, I, I have a long day and, and work and then I'm, I'm training on my bike. So, you know, I get tired and grumpy sometimes. So something that we try to be aware of is not just as parents, but with our kids as well, is to try to be in tune with, with our mood. Um, mm. So I've had some funny situations, like there was a situation a few months ago where I was being a bit mad at my, my kids. And then my son, Charlie, who was like, he's 12, almost 13 years old, you know, he said to me, Dad, we shouldn't be having this conversation right now because you're tired and grumpy. So maybe you should have a shower, have something to eat, and then we'll come back to the, you know, the discussion. Um, wow. So that, for me, yeah, that was that was good actually. I mean, it was, and he was he was absolutely right. Yeah. So, yeah. So we try to do that. You know, we we try to um, be aware of our moods and our feelings, and and we express that mm -hmm. to each other, and and that's mm -hmm. something that we've we've learned to do together. Okay. Um. Which topic gets you really excited um i think like for me it's around peak performance and and when i say peak performance it's it's how do you as an individual bring your best self forward uh, and and for me that encapsulates everything from the way you think and, and the way you solve problems in in your work and life um, but also, as I mentioned earlier, I'm an athlete, so I'm also yeah. really intrigued by, you know, how can I, as as an individual athlete, get the best out of out of my body. So for me, it's that combination of peak performance in in mind and and body. Um, and actually, you know, the field that I'm in, uh, I've really started to understand that there's a very powerful connection between the two. So that's the other thing that I get really excited about is is actually understanding how health and well being can and does contribute to to the way we perform in other aspects of our life. What would be three tips you would give to everybody who's listening um, on how to achieve peak performance? Um, actually, it's really interesting you ask that because at the moment uh, I'm collaborating with a with a German uh, neuropsychologist, um, a lady called Frederique Fabricius, and she's really brilliant, you know, and. She has this model which she calls the three F's and she says, you know, for us to achieve peak performance, we, we need three things. Yeah? And the first thing we need um, is fun, right? So we need to be really 
passionate about what we do, to love what we do. Um, but equally, we need to not take it all too seriously because actually, you know, if we think about peak performance mentally, um, where that peak performance happens is kind of in the frontal cortex of our brain. And what activates and stimulates the frontal cortex, uh, you know, is, is dopamine, right? Um, and, and dopamine is a neurotransmitter. It helps our brain perform very um, at, its, at, at its best. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, when you love something, when you're passionate about something, your body releases dopamine, releases endorphins. So it, actually loving what you do helps your brain to perform better. Uh, but equally, you know, sport and, and, and physical activity also releases dopamine. Um, laughter releases dopamine. So these are things that we really can enjoy and have fun doing, which also helps our brain health. So that's the first thing. The first thing is, is fun. You know, we have to love what we do and we have to have to laugh and we have to have fun also outside of work. Um, the second thing is, is fear, right? And I think what pushes me and, and pushes really high-performing people that I know is, is stretching yourself, right? I mean, pushing yourself beyond what you can do right now. And interestingly enough, you know, when we feel this sort of fear, but this positive fear, it also triggers the release of certain endorphins in our body, um, which also impact the brain in a positive way. Um, and this link actually between fun and fear is very important because um, if you don't feel fun, or if you feel stressed and you feel threatened, um, if, you, if you don't feel a healthy fear, but instead you fear, feel a fear which is really generated out of insecurity or threat, then very different chemicals are released in our body, like, like cortisol, right? So the fear that you feel actually has to be more of an excitement fear than a threat fear, if, if you understand what, what I mean, right? So that's, that's fun and that's fear. And then the third thing um, is to be really high-performing, you have to focus. So, you know, once you're stimulated, once you're inspired, that triggers a little bit of the fear. And, and then what you need to understand is you really need to focus your intention on the things you have to do to move forward. So, yeah, so that's it. The three things I would advise people is, you know, one, love what you do. Secondly, embrace fear because it pushes you and stretches you in a positive way. Uh, and thirdly, you know, focus, you know, really do the deep work and the, um, the hard work that you need to do to, to, to achieve things. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. Thank you very much. Um, talking about fear, uh, there's a lot of fear around in the world at the moment. Yeah. Um, probably a lot of that fear is more the negative kind of fear. Yeah. Yeah. Which advice would you give people on how to, to deal with that? How do you deal with it yourself? Yeah. Good one. You know, of course my, uh, it's like a, an a bomb has completely destroyed my life for the next three months professionally. Right. Because all mm -hmm. of my teaching, all of my, events all of my uh keynotes have been have been postponed or, or cancelled um mm -hmm. i'm self-employed right i mean i i don't get a, a paycheck from anybody so that's almost you know that's, that's also kind of obliterated my income for the next three months so of course mm -hmm. my initial reaction to that was a bit of fear a bit of uncertainty um but actually that pretty quickly with me transferred or or sort of morphed in into a more positive fear, which is, okay, I, I need to learn some new skills. I need to 
find new ways to to engage with my audiences. I need to to do this kind of stuff. Actually, you know, I need to, I need to embrace digital engagement. Um, so, what have I been doing over the last couple of weeks? Um, several things. I mean, the first thing has been really reaching out to my network and my clients and my collaborators to start developing some some projects based on digital engagement. So I've got some webinars in the pipeline. Uh, I've got some some online uh, panel discussion stuff coming up. Um, yeah, and, and that's been really surprising for me because I kind of reached out and, and there has been lots and lots of interest uh, coming in from, from my clients and, and business contacts. Um, now, where the fear bit comes in, of course, is that, you know, I've told people what I can do and, and the content and stuff that I can talk about, but I really need to learn some new skills uh, around using the digital platforms like like Zoom and and um you know, Google Hangouts and stuff like that. So, so actually what I've been doing over the last week is just upskilling myself on, on that stuff, you know, and, and setting up a, a video studio in my house and, and stuff like that. And to be honest, I feel pretty inadequate because I, I'm really a beginner at lots of, at lots of this stuff. Um, but it's also exciting. So I think it's not that cortisol kind of fear. It's actually the, the more endorphin stimulated fear that I'm, I'm quite excited to be jumping into new things. Um, even though I know that I'm far from an expert uh, in those areas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see a lot of people doing that at the moment, um, refocusing um, their work online. Yeah. Uh, the question is, first of all, uh, whether that doesn't just lead to an... Um, uh, too much uh, offer, <laughs> yeah. And uh, second of all, uh, will people pay for it as well? Yeah, yeah. No, that, 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 that's a that's a really good question. I think that comes to you know when when I mentioned Frederica's three Fs, you know, uh, fun, mm-hmm. fear, and focus. Um, for me, it is has been very much over the last couple of weeks around focus, right? In terms of okay. You know, I always ask myself the three fundamental questions as an entrepreneur, which is, you know, who is my customer? Who, who is my audience in terms of my most important audience? And, of course, for me, that also relates to who is willing to pay um, and, and able to pay for, for engaging and, and working with me. So I've thought that through and I have an audience in mind. The second then is, you know, once you've got your, your, your audience, once you've got your kind of customer segments in mind, you know, what is it that is potentially of high value to them? What, what do they need right now? So I've also been you know, reaching out to CIOs and CEOs and business contacts that I have, really understanding what is stressing them out right now, you know, like what is keeping them awake and, and, and understanding and appreciating that. And that's actually helped me to focus on the content that I'm, I'm now developing to make sure that that's relevant and timely. And mm-hmm. the third aspect, of course, is the how, which is, okay, if that's my audience, if, if this is what they they really value right now in terms of content and engagement, um, how is the best way to reach them, to, con- to connect with them and, and to share knowledge with them? And that's why I've been exploring actually several different digital platforms to work out which one. For me, you know, interaction is really important. Engagement is really important. I do a lot of experiential exercises in the classroom and on the stage. So I've had to also understand which of the digital platforms are most suited to that kind of an approach as well so that's kind of the how so that's how I've been kind of thinking through it and I mean surprisingly enough as I said you know two or three weeks ago I was kind of stressing 
um, in the last 48 hours, I've had three confirmed gigs, um, you know, one, 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 a digital masterclass with an investment bank in South Africa. Uh, I was on the phone yesterday putting together a series of webinars as part of a consortium um, with Google as a potential sponsor. Um, mm -hmm. And next week, uh, I'm involved in a panel discussion around leading at a time of crisis with two other thought leaders, one from London Business School and, and Frederica, who I've already mentioned the neuro neuropsychologist from Germany. So, yeah, so for me, it's kind of, it's gone very fast. And actually, I'm, I'm really excited and, and enthusiastic about it. In terms of how much I'll get paid or, or, or what the financial model will be, um, that's mm. a bit unclear and a bit ambiguous, but I'm not too worried about that. I, I think if you do great work and you, you take great work to, to the right people, then, then the financials will, will follow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we, we all feel that the in a very short period of time, the world is changing mm -hmm. and uh, we'll probably not wake up in the same reality after Corona. Um, this is a bit of a speculative question, but uh -huh. what do you think um, we're heading for? What do you think the world would look like after Corona? Gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew. Yeah. I don't know, really. Um, what I hope, actually, and, and, you know, a topic that I'm also very passionate about is sustainability. Mm. Um, and that is always, a, you know, for me, a kind of a dilemma because, you know, I am a speaker. I do travel far too much for, for my events and conferences and teaching and stuff like that. So um, what I'm hoping, actually, is that I am a big proponent and I, and I do – believe in in digital engagement you know and and de delivering content virtually connecting with audiences virtually um what i actually do hope is that people really start to understand the value in that right one of one of the dilemmas i mean very honestly you know that i i have one of the challenges i have is that you know people still think you know they don't they don't bat an eyelid at paying for a face-to-face -face workshop or teaching or or, or conference, um, they're much more reluctant to pay that kind of amount for, for some sort of online webinar or, or lesson when actually the, the value is, is often you know, it's equally as good and the engagement can also be equally good. And I think the engagement sometimes even better because of the way we can use, you know, um, live chat and other, other engagement tools with the audience. Um, so I'm really hoping that people start to understand and appreciate that digital mm -hmm. viable alternative and not just because um because you know it, it is a very viable alternative but i think in terms of sustainability and the environmental impact of travel and, and so much of the travel that we do in business i think is unnecessary uh, i'm mm -hmm. really hoping that that is a is a positive outcome from from this crisis mm. um final question maybe on the corona topic um is uh, there have already been reports um, about the positive impacts on um, the environments of, yeah. of this crisis. Mm -hmm. um, some say on a more spiritual level that this is um, not a warning, but a kind of in your face uh, from the universe to, to tell us to slow down. Yeah. Do you believe that? Um, well, is it from the universe or what is it? I mean, it's, it's an interesting perspective i mean i think it's a definitely a wake-up call right i mean it really is a wake-up call and again if i come back to the topic of sustainability 
Um, and, it, you know, whether we're talking about environmental sustainability or inclusion, you know, social inclusion um, or financial um, sustainability, you know, it's amazing how much policymakers and governments have just been fluffing around, you know, over the last five years um, with the Paris Climate Accords and, and other initiatives. So, you know, I, I think this has been a big shock, but it's also demonstrated what governments and societies can do with intent, right? So I, I see that as a real positive. And, you know, is that a warning coming from the universe? I don't know. Uh, but it certainly demonstrated what we can do as, as humanity um, to, to, to deal with some of these bigger issues that, that we're facing. So I think that is, that is a positive. Will it be sustained after this crisis? I don't know. You know, will, will nationalism and, and the, you know, parochial kind of mentalities that we've seen emerging change? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure about that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing there is in terms of a wake-up call, okay, and this is not such a wake-up call to, to the planet, but I think definitely a wake-up call to companies and, and organisations because so many organisations are stuck in that industrial age mindset that, you know, people have to be in the office physically from nine to six every day to do mm. what we do. And so many organisations I work with are so stuck with that. Um, and for me, that might be one of the biggest positives out of this, that that actually this crisis will, will show that that old industrial age model um, of physically having people commute to offices to lock themselves often in more individualistic activities and work is kind of pointless and that we can all be productive in, in a different way. And what that I hope will give to, to the world is, is to, to cut down not just on the environment, environmental impacts of commuting and stuff like that, but also to give people back part of their lives because if we can do away with so much of that unnecessary commuting and office time, and it does open up time for people to do other things that they love, whether it be sports or spending time with, with people they, they, they love or, or just engage with their hobbies and their interests. And that's, that would be a very good thing. Mm, thank you. Jamie, are you successful? Um, I'm, I'm very, how do I put it? Um, I, I like my life a lot, you know, and, and I, I reflect on this often and, uh, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I, I feel very, very thankful um, because I'm very content, I think, with the way my life is. Now, success, as you framed, or the word success for me, uh, is a very subjective term, right? Because, you know, for many people, you know, I, I work with the financial services sector, you know, with, with the, the investment and the commercial banks. And, you know, if you were in a banking context and you said, oh, a successful person is about to walk in the door, well, what would people think of? They would probably think of a very senior person, usually a guy, you know, who earns lots of money, who has a big job title, who has the corner office, who has the chauffeur-driven car and blah 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 So that's how those people might think of success. Um, whereas when I would look at that person, I would say, well, that's interesting. Those criteria, however, for me, because what that might also be the reality of is that that person maybe is on their third marriage or uh, is is you know not really connected with their kids and that person might be incredibly unhealthy because of all the travel and the pressure and the stress and whatever it might be so 
So I might look at that same person and say, well, actually, for me, that's not success because that that success in terms of financial achievement and status has involved really extreme tra trade-offs and sacrifices. Um, mm -hmm. So for me personally, um, I, do I think of myself as successful? No, I, I, no, I don't like that word success. I, I think of myself as someone who has managed to, to yeah, I, I mean, I've had some success in my professional life and, and I'm very happy with that and, 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 how, and, and I worked very hard to achieve that. Um, but I always looked to work as an enabler of the other things in life and, and professional success as an enabler of other things in life, which is kind of where I've come to today. So for me, actually, I define success in, in terms of three things. And the first thing is definitely um, happiness. And, and that for me is fundamentally about relationships. Uh, and I would consider I kind of am a bit of a success there because I, I really have an incredible loving relationship with my wife. I've got a super relationship with my three children. I spend a lot of time with them. You know, we really like each other. They like each other. Uh, I've still got good contacts with my family back in Australia and, 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 and I've got very dear friends. So I feel in that sphere of life, things are good. Uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times already in this talk, you know, I, I do get to engage with my passion which is my cycling, and I do compete at a high level. You know, I've achieved things at the international level in, in amateur master cycling, and that gives me a huge amount of satisfaction. Uh, and then the third area of my life is my professional life, which is, you know, my speaking and, and, and stuff. And, and there, I don't measure my success so much in terms of, you know, having given TED Talks or, or having spoken at this event or that event. What gives me the most satisfaction with my professional life is I really do feel now that I'm in a position to be able to support and encourage and, and motivate other people really to perform at their peak and, and to, to, to embrace that. Um, so, yeah, so I feel like a pretty lucky guy. I don't know if I'd call it successful, but I, I certainly feel that I've been very fortunate to be able to align those three spheres if you like of of relationships self and and my professional activities as well and, and to keep them sort of keep them going yeah mm -hmm. thank you very much um so in this podcast we we aim to dig behind the shell mm -hmm. behind the table. um you always come across as somebody who is anyway authentic um and uh, comfortable being vulnerable uh, no matter with who or in which situation, is this just an impression or is it truly the case? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, I, it's a good. People sometimes say that to me. They say, "Oh, you're really authentic," or, or like you're you're very honest, or, or you're very. I mean, the best compliment I ever get is people tell me that I'm a good listener, and I really like to hear that, uh, and that really gives me a, a good boost. Um, but actually, in terms of being comfortable in my own skin, I think that. That is, that's not always been the case, you know, for, for, for a very big part of my, my life. And, you know, because I came from very humble beginnings. I came from a very working class family and mm -hmm. six brothers and sisters. Yeah. And, you know, we, we did it really tough when I was a kid. And um, I grew up in a you know, public housing estate in, in, in a small town in Australia. My dad had alcohol and mental health problems. And we had all sorts of shit going on when I was a kid. And then... Despite all of that, however, you know, I, I kind of did well at school and, and I got my my education and, and I was very ambitious and I did eventually 
experienced real success in my career, you know, as an academic and 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 mm-hmm. in that business school world. Um, but when I was doing that, actually, I felt like quite a fake, you know. And I don't know if it was because of where I'd come from, and maybe I, I felt a bit ashamed of that, or I didn't want people to know that about me because I was very different in terms of my background to most of the other people I, I met along the way and, and people who I work with. Most of those people come from more privileged backgrounds and the right kind of, uh, what I thought was the right kind of family background, stuff like that. So, yeah, for a very big part of my life, I actually kind of was a bit ashamed of maybe who I was or, or I also, how do I put it? You know, I like I didn't feel I really belonged. I felt like I was a bit of a fake. I mean, you know all this stuff about the imposter syndrome. Um, yeah. I think I had that big time. So, yeah, for, for I think for, for a big part of my professional life, probably up until my, my mid to late 30s, uh, I, I don't think that I really was a very authentic person because I kind of did have this shell around me um, to try to project something that I thought that, that other people expected me to be. And, yeah, so that was that, – I had experienced that. And I, I think, you know, I, I even got – you know, I did these, like, 360 surveys at work and stuff when I was in my 30s and people didn't say very nice things about me you know like in terms of my openness and humility and stuff like that so so I think actually the the person I am now is maybe who I've always been Uh, it's just over the last eight or ten years as I've I've maybe matured and, and changed my life professionally and personally that that I've been able more to to just get back in touch with with keeping my feet on the ground and, and just being who I am now. But it's mm. taken a while. Okay, thank you. Um, so you teach about creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you a creative person yourself? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting when I, you know, I mentioned and I go back to my my upbringing, right? Um, I, I grew up in really, you know, in a pretty tough situation financially and with some of the problems that my dad had and, um, I think that always, I don't know if I called it creativity at the time, because, you know, I, for a long time, I used to think that creativity was all about artistry and, you know, music and, and sculpture and painting and all that stuff. And, and you know, my dad was a musician. He was a very creative art, artist, actually. Um, but I, I never thought of myself as an artist. However, what I've come to understand is that that creativity is much is about much more than artistry. Fundamentally, it's about how do you bring new and novel approaches to problem solving. And I guess because of my upbringing as a kid and not growing up having money and having access to resources and all that stuff, I think I was always trying to find ways to get things done in the absence of money, in the absence of resources. So it made me very resourceful. And that's something I think which has been true for me throughout my life. And not just for me, by the way, I have six brothers and sisters and I think all of my brothers and sisters are incredibly resourceful people because they've had to be. Because, you know, it's amazing sometimes you you meet these people who are born with everything, right? I mean, they're born with the rich family and they go to the good university and they get the great job, you know. But actually they never really thrive in life. And, And I think part of the reason for that is that Maybe everything's been given to them. They've never had to really struggle and fight and think, how else do I do stuff, you know, if I'm going to get ahead? Um, mm. So, 
And that's why I think it's interesting. You know, sometimes you meet these people, and like I think about me, you know, like I kind of shouldn't be here. You know, if I look at my family background and, and the, the cards I was dealt early in life, you know, so well, I probably shouldn't be here right now, but I, but I am. And I think that's always really fascinating, you know, when you meet people who, who weren't born with all the cards in life, but often they're the ones who thrive the most because mm. they develop this resilience and this resourcefulness. Um, to mm -hmm. do things so I'm not sure if that answers your question um, but I think absolutely. I'm definitely resourceful I don't know about creative but definitely resourceful yeah absolutely uh, on the one hand you're an academic mm -hmm. um, which implies that you spend quite of quite some time alone uh -huh. uh, and on the other hand you're also a performer uh, would you call yourself an introvert or an extrovert um I think I'm an introvert extrovert, if that okay. makes sense. Okay, I mean, I do like time on my own, yeah. And I think this is also, um, I like thinking time. You know, my, my wife knows that, you know, I'm very, very good at focusing my attention. And, and when I get absorbed with something like writing a paper or developing a TED talk or, or something like that, then then it doesn't matter how much chaos I've got around me. It probably comes from, you know, coming from a family with seven kids and living in a very small house. I'm very good at sort of shutting myself off. Um, so I really do value quiet alone time. Um, and actually, I've got a small group of close friends. I'm not a real social butterfly. You know, I don't like, like mixing with lots and lots and lots of people. Um, however, you know, when I need to be, Uh, absolutely, you know. I mean, I, 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 I do love, you know, engaging with people and, and, and talking, and I'm very curious about people. Um, but actually, being in big groups and stuff is not my preferred kind of mode. And in a social setting, I mean, you know, like, like, like that. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so okay. that's kind of, I think, how I would, I would define it. And I think also that's why, that's why I love my cycling, you know, because. Um, cycling for me is really alone time and, and you know, whether I'm on my indoor trainer here at home in the mornings or I'm out on the road sometimes for three or four hours, I'm, I'm by myself. And when I do that, you know, usually what I do is I, I listen to, to podcasts or I watch TED Talks or whatever and I find that alone time really valuable just to help me to, to learn and to think and to reflect on, on stuff and I often get really great ideas just being, being alone. So, so I value that time and I, I cherish it, actually. I really, really try to schedule it uh, in, my, in my agenda every week. Okay, thank you. Do you have a secret talent? Oh, gosh, I don't know. You know, I, I wouldn't call it a talent, right? But, you know, I mentioned, um, you know, I grew up with a dad who had mental illness. I mean, my dad was always, like, he was always... Don't get me wrong. My, my dad was a good man. He was he had a good heart, but he was a he was a troubled person, and he had problems with alcohol, you know, for a big part of his life. And then when I was about fourteen or fifteen, no, I guess fifteen years old, um, he he really had a breakdown and he developed bipolar disorder, right? And and he was always kind of a moody, you know, he was always kind of manic, you know. My dad, he was always a bit bipolar, but you know, back in the eighties, they didn't really have. I don't think bipolar was a defined thing you could have at that time, although we always yeah. had it, I guess. Um, now, why I'm telling you the story is actually, I think, something special because I read an article, actually, I read an academic study uh, about, you know, people and particularly about children who grow up with parents with mental illness or grow up with parents who 
have alcohol problems or sometimes drug addiction. And as a kid, and I never really realized this at the time, of course, because it was just the reality that I was living, is that when you are a child and you grow up in an environment like that, you, you develop a special kind of, kind of emotional radar, which means you read people. Right. So, you know, when my dad would wake up in the morning and come to the breakfast table, you know, I would have to, as a kid, decide pretty quickly, you know, is dad in a depressive state? Is he in a manic state? You know, and and based on that, how am I going to interact with him and engage with him? And 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 I think that's something which, you know, again, at the time, it wasn't like I was thinking, gee, this is a good skill that's going to help me later in life. But what I've come to realize is that I do have this ability. And I think it was developed as a child. And again, I think my brothers and sisters, they they all have it as well, is this ability to, to read people um, and not just to listen to what they are saying, but also the ability to really sense the emotions that are coming across. And, you know, Jennifer, you and I have met with each other and we've talked with each other and, and that was something which was, you know, something that, that was part of our conversation, right? Because when I spoke with you and we chatted um, there was also things that I was sensing about your emotions and about some of the things you'd been through personally, which you weren't articulating, but I, I could kind of sense. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's something which which now I feel very fortunate to have um, and which which really helps me a lot in, in helping other people who sometimes mm-hmm. have trouble articulating their feelings. Hmm. Well, funny, because one of my next questions was going to be whether you had a feminine side, but maybe your <laughs> strong intuition... <laughs> Uh, is the answer to that? I don't know. It depends. What it depends. How, how, what is a feminine side? I don't know. You know, it's it's it's. I think the issue is how we sometimes have issues with toxic masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that far too many males are raised in a way that you know they're not encouraged to to show emotion or vulnerability or fear, um, mm. and that's why. You know, again, as a parent, and I think also you asked earlier, am I an authentic person? I just, in my interaction, whether it's with my professional colleagues or my friends or my children, um, I really do believe in the importance of honesty, you know, and, and just being who you are. And, and, and uh, you know, people use this term vulnerability, which I don't like, really. I think it's just about honesty. Um, so saying that a feminine side, you know, I I mentioned, I spend a lot of time with my children and one of the things I do with my kids is I just lie with them and often just talk and, 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 but one of the things we often talk about is anxieties or stresses or worries, you know, and, and I'm very honest with that with my kids, you know, if I have some worries or stresses and stuff and, um, and I think that for me is very important for my sons, you know, to, to, for them to see that as a, as a guy, as a dad, you know, it's not about being tough and enduring. It's also okay um, to, to show a little bit of that, that emotion and, and vulnerability. Um, but equally, you know, with my daughter, Hannah, she's, she's 15 years old and, and she's an amazing, creative, you know, empathetic, clever, clever girl. However, in my career, Jennifer, you know, I've, I've seen far too many women you know, like my daughter, you know, incredible, smart, talented people who have been passed over, who mm. have not been given the opportunities that they should be given. And therefore, you know, I have taken on, is it a feminine role? I don't know. But, you know, I take on a role to mentor my daughter 
to to build her confidence and you know one of the things i always say to hannah is hannah you know if you want something in life you ask for it you step forward um because i think that's something which which is just a reality in the business world today you know that that Mm -hmm. women women need to ask for what they deserve they need to step forward they need to be confident and and certainly not be you know in the shadows at at any time Mm. how important appearance I don't know. I mean, I, again, I think if I thought about myself in my, my 30s, my late 20s, yeah, I was very vain, you know, like, like I cared a lot about what people thought about me and, and stuff like that. Um, and I think that was kind of part of, I don't know, wanting to, again, coming from where I come from, you know, wanting to establish myself and wanting to be a somebody and stuff like that. I think today I'm... I don't really think I'm vain. I don't know. Like, I'm proud of. I don't know. How, I don't know. It depends how you. Do you mean vain in a physical sense or like? Yeah. Yeah, I think I am a bit vain in terms of physical sense because I'm an athlete, right? So. Yeah. You know, I spend anywhere between ten and twenty hours a week on my body and 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 training and and on my bike and core and in the gym and you know I turn fifty next year and and I'm I'm proud of how I, I feel and how I look physically. Um, mm. But, yeah, I'm a bit vain in that way, I think. Um, but but also, you know, when I say I'm vain, I'm also proud in that I really do think, and I see a lot of this on my LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff. I, I have a huge number of people who follow me on social media, um, and I think part of that is they don't just follow me because, you know, I've got some ideas and, and some some knowledge to share with them. Uh, I think people really do, you know, follow me because they're interested in what I'm doing in a sporting sense, you know. And mm. therefore, I also do think it's important in the way that I demonstrate to people you can be successful professionally, you know, you can be a good dad and a husband, and you can look after your body, you know, and, and you can perform as an athlete, even even like me in your late 40s or into your, into your 50s. And I'm trying to really inspire others to embrace that. You know, mm. be proud of themselves and not just proud of their their you know intellectual or professional achievements but also to take a pride in their physical condition mm. Mm. Oh, thank you um what is your purpose um you know i think it's it's and i've uh, i i've thought long about this you know and and I've alluded to it a couple of times during this talk. Um, you know, my purpose is is really to to support people to thrive. And 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 um, uh, you know, I gave a TED talk uh, a few years ago, and and the title of that TED talk was "What Is Success Really?" And in the talk, you know, I talked about shooting for the moon. And, and what is shooting for the moon? Shooting for the moon is setting some big, bold ambition for yourself, and and then really going for it. You know, um, however, what I have started to appreciate and understand, and again, maybe it comes with, with my, my age and my experience, is that, you know, far too many people in life, they, they shoot for, for success or what they think is success, but they define that in many ways upon the extrinsic views the, the, you know, the way that society or their industry or their friends or their family define success. So you find a lot of people who, who get into their, you know, late 30s, 40s and beyond who 
are deeply dissatisfied, actually. You know, they, they may have achieved a lot, you know, in terms of the, the professional, you know, um, artifacts, like, you know, you know, the salary and the job title and the roles and the responsibilities, but they're deeply unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest purposes that I have in life is really to support those people, you know, because life shouldn't be miserable, you know, life shouldn't be uh, fruitless. Um, so the purpose that I really see for myself in life is supporting people to, to shoot for their own moon, you know, to work out what is it that inspires them and gives them purpose and then mm-hmm. supporting them to have the courage, but also to to acquire the practical, you know, skills and knowledge to, to make a shift in life. Um, mm. And that inspires me, really inspires me a lot. And, and as, as you know, Jennifer, you know, I, I mentor and coach and support loads of people. And I never make a distinction. You know, I, I never say, look, I only coach or mentor C-level executives or senior managers. No, you know, if, if a young, you know, ambitious, curious person contacts me on LinkedIn or, on, you know, whatever, I'm, I try to make the time to, to talk to that person. Um, and mm. the reason I do that is because of my purpose, because mm-hmm. because that's what yeah, inspires and motivates me a lot. And for people who are who are looking for for their moon, for their purpose, mm-hmm. what would be the first thing you would advise them to do? Look, you know, a lot of people say, you know, follow your passion, follow your dream. But for me, that's kind of it's it's kind of you know dumb advice for lots of people because lots of people don't know what that is yet you know they don't know what their passion is they don't know what their dream is so so that's pretty stupid advice so so the first thing i ask people is you know what are you curious about you know what 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 do you what what intrigues you right and 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 that's kind of different right because what that is about even if you think about yourself in a professional sense you know like like for me i was a professor of strategy and innovation management and I was really good at it, but it didn't really inspire me. And it took me a while to realize that what I was really curious about were people who perform, you know, at the peak, you know, and, and not so much people who perform at the peak in terms of the normal kind of leadership in big established companies, but the more entrepreneurial people, you know, the more creative people, the ones who who deal with complexity and run businesses in really complex environments. And I did research in in markets like Nigeria and the slums of India and stuff like that. So what I started to realize that was what I was really, really curious about was this idea of creative leadership, right? Which, Which is what makes one leader thrive in this complex situation and others struggle. And that's how I reoriented myself professionally. You know, I said, well, strategy is not really, I'm good at it, but it's not really what I'm curious about. What I'm really curious about is is leadership and creative leadership. So that's how I eventually reoriented myself towards this field of of creativity. Um, However, you know, at the same time as I was doing that, I was also on my own personal journey in terms of returning to my passion for sport and, and stuff like that. And then what I started to realize, actually, that there was a very big component of creativity or basically cognitive performance which is related to health and well-being and that really intrigued me particularly because I was an athlete so so then I've you know the last years I've, I've been continuing exploring this this field of creative leadership but increasingly looking at the impact of health and well-being on cognitive performance mm. um, so for me that doesn't feel like work actually because I'm so curious about it I'm so so inspired by it that 
that it, it's kind of it's kind of easy because I because I love it. So that would be my advice. You know, try try to find out you know what you're curious about. Are you curious about people? Are you curious about collaboration? Are you curious about artificial intelligence? You know, what is it? And mm-hmm. then how can you start to reorientate your professional activities towards doing more of that over time and mm-hmm. away from those things that you're less inspired or less motivated to do? Mm-hmm. In this podcast, we interview uh, leaders who we think are inspiring. What is Who is for you an inspiring leader? Um, my sister, Kim. So, so my sister, Kim, is, is um, a few years older than me. She's in her mid-50s now. But Kim left school at 15 years old, and, and not because she wanted to leave school, but because she had to. It was a necessity at that time. Uh, and she started her life as a beautician, uh, and then she became an entrepreneur. She started a beauty school. She started her own cosmetics brands. Um, she is just an incredible, resourceful woman. And not only that, you know, along the way, she's been such an inspiration to those around her you know she supported helped encouraged other entrepreneurs 99% of them women um and you know my sister Kim I mean she she well just a couple of years ago she became the mayor of the the town where we grew up and if you can imagine that you know a girl who grew up in a housing commission estate with no formal education who became this incredible entrepreneur and then decided to go back and and give back to the society which had in many ways provided for her, I think is incredibly inspiring. So so she's someone who I really look up to, I really admire, and and I really value her advice. You know, we, we talk to each other regularly. Um, and she's an incredible person. And, and you know, the other thing about my sister is that she's such a giving person, right? She she does so many things for other people and she never asks for things in return. And for me, that's also something as a philosophy that I've tried to embrace more and more as well this idea that it's okay to give um, and if you're in a position to do so then then embrace that and and spread as much of your knowledge and and your your network and and and, and other stuff as as possible um, because yeah the universe does sort of come back in many ways but we shouldn't be worried about that and I think far too many people are too worried about this idea of give and take. You know, if I give something, then I could take something from you. Okay. Well, Jamie, thank you very much. We've come to the end of the interview. Um, thank you very much for being open, for being vulnerable, and for being your energetic and inspiring self. Well, thanks for the question, Jennifer. A great interview is always about great questions, and I really enjoyed uh, interacting with you too. So, so thanks for making the time, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. And me too. See you soon. Okay, and for all of those listening, go out and shoot. Oh, oh.